one generation of girls grew up in Afghanistan with freedoms that their mothers and grandmothers never saw and their daughters and granddaughters may never see, but they had a chance for freedom that nobody else before them or after them may see for a long, long time. Was that worth it? Yeah, absolutely it was worth it. Welcome to Christ and Culture, the podcast of the L. Russ Bush Center for Faith and Culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Here we'll explore how the Christian faith intersects all avenues of today's culture through conversations with leading thinkers. Welcome to the conversation. Welcome to another season of the Christ and Culture podcast. I'm Ken Keithley, and I direct the L. Russ Bush Center for Faith and Culture here at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina. Uh, we had a great year last year on our podcast, and we're looking forward now to another season. Some things about Christ and culture will remain the same again this year. We have a phenomenal slate of guests lined up. We'll address important topics about faith and culture, science, and the public square. But other things about Christ and culture are changing, and they're changing for the better. First, we're going to add new segments to the show, and we'll reveal what those are as we go along. But the most significant change is sitting across the table from me. Dr. Benjamin Quinn, Associate Professor of Theology and History of Ideas at Southeastern Baptist, has agreed to come aboard as the Associate Director of the Center for Faith and Culture. And he's agreed also to be the co-host of the Christ and Culture podcast. Dr. Quinn, welcome. Thank you, Dr. Keithley. I'm super excited to be here, grateful to not only be a part of Southeastern, but to be a part of the Center for Faith and Culture. Um, even in, in my own training, I remember I went to undergraduate at Union University and was way too green to be studying with some of the folks I was able to study with there. Um, and by the time I finished my undergraduate degree, I remember thinking I loved every part of the Christian curricula. So when it came to Old Testament and New Testament, or philosophy, or history, or even the languages that I wasn't that good at, or theology, or ethics. All, And I came out of my undergraduate thinking, I really do believe Jesus is, is Lord over all of these things, and I love all of this stuff, even beyond the Christian studies curricula into the whole of the university. But I didn't quite have a vocabulary for that. And in God's providence, as I continued on in education, able to study under one such person as Craig Bartholomew, who really gave me a vocabulary for that and gave me even a, a clearer sense of what it looks like for Christ to be king over the whole of creation uh, and to see how that fits in with the broader biblical story and all that to then kind of come full circle to the chance to sit down in the Christ and Culture podcast and to be part of the CFC or the Center for Faith and Culture and to get to talk about Christ and everything is dream come true for me. So very grateful to be here. Well, we're glad to have you aboard, Dr. Quinn. And we have a great show uh, lined up for today. Uh, later in the show, we're going to debut a new segment called On My Bookshelf, in which we share books that we're reading right now. But first, we're going to talk to Dr. Jeff Struker about what's going on in Afghanistan. In recent weeks, we've witnessed tragedy unfold in Afghanistan. As U.S. troops withdrew, Taliban forces took control, leaving scenes of chaos and confusion. To help us understand all that's going on in Afghanistan, we're delighted to have with us today Dr. Jeff Struker, 
Dr. Struker has prolific military experience and was one of the heroes of Black Hawk Down in Somalia in 1993. Many of us have seen the movie associated with that. He also was deployed to combat in Panama, Kuwait, Iraq, and Afghanistan. He was inducted to the U.S. Army Ranger Hall of Fame in 2017. And we're also glad to be able to claim Dr. Struker as one of our own here at Southeastern. Dr. Struker also serves as Assistant Professor of Christian Leadership here at Southeastern, and he's pastor of the Two Cities Church in Columbus, Georgia. Dr. Struker, thank you for joining us today. It's great to be with you guys. Now, as we mentioned, you have served multiple tours in the Middle East, including Afghanistan. Tell us a little bit about what tours you have served, and then as you do, kind of help us to understand what's going on. Um, I did about nine combat deployments to Afghanistan over the course of my last 10 years in the Army. I retired from the United States Army back in 2011, so my last tour in Afghanistan was at the end of 2009. It's been a while since I've been there. Um, But I spent probably more time in Afghanistan than any other country in the world except for the United States. And I've been around a lot of other places in the world, spent a lot of time in other places in the world, but not like Afghanistan. It was almost a second home to me for about 10 years. You almost speak with affection. Am I hearing something there? Yeah, I love that country. I have had and continue to have great hope for the people of Afghanistan. And I've often said it is one of the most beautiful places on the planet. If it wasn't for Al-Qaeda and the Taliban when I was there, it could rival some of the greatest resort cities in the world. See, I I would never have known that because all I ever see is on the news and it looks like what it is, a war zone. So speaking to that, what is going on? What's what's happening there? Yeah, you have basically a clash of ideologies. And when the United States declared war on terrorism, I like to remind people terrorism is an ideology. What we really did is declared war on an ideology. And the basis, the home of operations for the ideology that the United States declared war on back in September 11th, September 12th, 2001, was Afghanistan, because Afghanistan just happened to be the home base for al-Qaeda. That's really what the United States and the coalition forces set out to do, is to destroy al-Qaeda, dismantle their ability to conduct terrorist attacks, not just in the United States, but around the world. But because of the very close relationship between the Taliban and al-Qaeda, this initially brought with it a kind of a a proxy war, if not, you know, a real battle for almost 20 years with the Taliban because of their ties to al-Qaeda. And as the U.S. started to leave, round out combat operations, wrap up what we were doing rebuilding the nation of Afghanistan and leave over the last week and a half. uh, What the world has seen is this unprecedented advance of the Taliban throughout all of the major political and population centers in Afghanistan. I remember listening to uh, President Bush give his second inaugural speech. And one of the things that he advanced was the idea of establishing democracies in these nations that we had uh, engaged with, like uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. And I thought at the time, you know, I, I was concerned. These are nations that have been under the influence of Islamic thinking for a thousand years. And now we're talking about turning them in to Jeffersonian Democrats in 20 years. I was thinking this may take longer than we have 
the attention span for. So we were there 20 years. Now we've left. Are there ways that this tragedy could have been avoided? No, not what we're seeing playing out the way that we're seeing it play out on the nightly news. Certainly the speed that it's happening, that could have been avoided. But I just made a statement in an interview this week saying, I don't think if the U.S. left 10 years earlier or 10 years later, anything would really change about what we're seeing today. The United States and the coalition forces, I don't want it to appear that it's just the U.S. A lot of countries put a lot of effort into helping to create a national government that's really never existed in Afghanistan. Afghanistan is tribal leaders held in local valleys and the United States tried to help create a national government and help that national government get on its feet and control its borders and police its own people. And as you can see, as soon as the United States kind of left, that national government fled for their life, quite literally got on an airplane and escaped as fast as they could. And then the Taliban had basically free reign. You talked about in 2001, September 11 slash 12, uh, the United States declares war on terrorism because Al-Qaeda had acted in the way that it had acted. But now we hear less about Al-Qaeda, more about the Taliban. Tell us what's the relationship between those two things and what is motivating the Taliban? What's sort of the mindset of the Taliban? If I understand correctly, this is the heart of your podcast about Christ and culture and how these things mix and what you have with the Taliban and to some degree what you had with Al-Qaeda. Now, Al-Qaeda was simply designed, the Arabic word itself is the base. It was designed to be a base of operations to spread that ideology around the world. The Taliban had a close relationship with Al-Qaeda, though they were two very different groups of people. They had a close relationship because the ideologies really weren't that difficult or different. And really what the Taliban has set out to try to accomplish, and if I could just say it this way very quickly, the geography, the mountain valleys in Afghanistan make this the perfect place to do it. They set out to create a caliphate state, a modern day country that is run very much like the Ottoman Empire under its height a thousand years ago. We want to go back a thousand years in time. We want to run under strict Sharia law. We want to enforce the religious ideology or, or our religious beliefs. We want them to influence politics and the military and education and virtually every aspect of society. And because al Qaeda. Wahhabi version of Islam, and because the Taliban interpretation of Islamic law were not that different, these two organizations could work together in the same place, but they were not the same organization. You know, in years past, we would hear so much critique from the media about how fundamentalistic that the Taliban was, the way they treated women, etc. Just yesterday, I heard on NPR uh, an interview with a Taliban leader who was insisting that while they have basically taken over Afghanistan, or at least certain portions of Afghanistan, he was insisting that there's going to be more fair treatment for women, more opportunity. And yet there seems to be question about that. Can you speak to any sort of development or evolution, perhaps, of the Taliban in the last few years? I'm highly skeptical of the Taliban's claim that we're going to be a little bit more accommodating this time around than we were in Afghanistan 25 years ago. I mean, I like to remind people, listen, the Taliban shot Malala Yousafzai in the head just because she wanted to go to school and refused to stay at home where they said a teenager girl should be. 
I think it's hard for me to believe that that network, that religiously controlled group of mullahs have changed their philosophy so much in such a short period of time. What I really think they did is hired a pretty intelligent PR spokesman who said, hey, you guys do whatever you want in Afghanistan. Just don't let the nightly news around the world see it. So I hope that my skepticism is unfounded, but I can't bring myself to believe that you've fundamentally changed the way that you're going to try to create this caliphate state. I, I really don't see it happening personally. Mm-hmm. Well, that leads to this next question that you have addressed on your blog recently, um, in which you talk about the 20-year involvement that we have in Afghanistan. And you ask the question, was it worth it? How did you answer on your blog? Yeah, I can give a one-word answer to that question. When somebody asks me, because a lot of people know um, nine different combat deployments to Afghanistan over a 10-year period of time, and they're saying, Jeff, you lost a lot of friends in Afghanistan. Now that we're watching this on the nightly news, and it looks like the fall of Saigon 1975 all over again, was all of that blood worth it? And my answer is quickly, easily, yes, of course it's worth it. I recognize just how precious human freedom is, and there has never been a time anywhere in human history that brave men and women don't have to fight for freedom, fight to secure it, and fight to keep it. And what the UN, United States, and coalition forces, what NATO did in Afghanistan is fought to give the people of Afghanistan a chance at freedom. And really, one generation of girls grew up in Afghanistan with freedoms that their mothers and grandmothers never saw, and their daughters and granddaughters may never see, but they had a chance for freedom that nobody else before them or after them may see for a long, long time. Was that worth it? Yeah, absolutely it was worth it. I wish that the situation didn't play out right now the way it's playing out, but freedom is always worth the sacrifice, if you were to ask me. That's powerful. Jeff, you, you kind of mentioned the topography is a big thing. We, we may miss that on this side of the pond, but there's the shape of the land, the mountains there play a big factor in this. Uh, I've heard critique on President Biden's decision to pull out at the time that he did that a number of locals have, have, have asked the question, why didn't you wait until the snow had already fallen? That would have made this a whole lot easier. How do you respond to that? They were, uh, Taliban was already all over Afghanistan. They were just waiting for the moment that they could become legitimate. I remind people, listen, Afghanistan is where empires go to die. Alexander the Great, the British twice used their entire military might. The Russians at the zenith of their military might. They all went to Afghanistan. And what all of them realized is you can't conquer that land because of the land itself, not the warriors. Think about a a state the size of Texas and the base of the Himalayan mountains, and no one can occupy that much land being that different. And most of the people that I met in Afghanistan, they've never left their valley. They don't know the the villagers on the other side of their valley because the ground is just that severe. So the idea of a strong functional government being able to control that kind of geography, it's just impossible. It's not going to happen anywhere in the world. Um, So the idea of there's a better time to do this, or there is a better way to do this, Anybody who makes those claims, you've never stood on the ground in Afghanistan, because I tell you from a guy standing on the ground, you can't control this valley forever. If it was the 51st state of the United States, we still wouldn't be able to pull this one off. Well, let me let me ask a follow up then. How does the Taliban expect that they're going to be able to control Afghanistan 
um, if this is something that, like I said, is uh, the, the, the terrain isolates different tribes, is it simply going to go back to a tribal form of government? Yeah, guys, this is no exaggeration. I saw things in Afghanistan that come straight out of the book of Judges. And I told people this land got passed over in time 3,000 years ago. So the Taliban controlled by fear, and they use fear very effectively as a weapon, which means I roll into a valley through fear and violence. I can make everybody in that valley do whatever I want them to do as long as I'm there. But when I leave, they go back to doing whatever they've been doing for the last 3,000, 5,000 years. Um, and even the Taliban knows I don't try to control every valley. I just control the people where I am when I'm there. And that's the thing that I think the Afghanistan government had hoped to accomplish is a strong central government in Kabul that could control all of those valleys. And that's just impossible. It's not going to happen. So the Taliban will have free reign wherever they want, whenever they want, but they will just not control it when they leave. And they know that. As we've watched the news, I think a lot of us just feel helpless. We're watching something on the other side of the world. This is something that our government is doing. And so we wonder as an individual American, what can I do? And of course, uh, one thing we can do is pray. Uh, but how can we pray for Afghanistan? I mean, uh, how can we pray for the American veterans like yourself who served in Afghanistan? To pray for American veterans first, what I would ask you to do is to just pray for their mental health. Some of them may feel betrayed right now. Many of them are asking the question about the sacrifices and the sufferings that they went through. And really what they need to know is that the American people appreciate them and care deeply about what they're going through today, long after they left the combat zone. But for the people of Afghanistan, my recommendation is, would you pray that the Lord Jesus Christ himself would change the hearts of people in Afghanistan? My prayer has been since 2003, my first combat deployment to the Middle East. My prayer has been, God, would you pull back this dark, deceptive veil of Islam? Would you show your son, Jesus Christ, to be the savior of Afghanistan, Iraq, the rest of the Islamic world? And when men are changed at the soul level, then society, then governments start to change, but it never works the other way around. Jeff, you are also an author. So you're pastor, professor, author, and many more things. Um, and you've written both fiction and nonfiction. We want to have you on again in the future to talk about some of your fiction writing. But your most recent book is Start Here, Why Jesus Came and How His Message Gives You Life. Can you just give us a little bit about what that book is about and where we can find it? You can find the book on Amazon. But Start Here began as a sermon series that I did in our church. And it became a kind of a question and answer uh, session that went along with the sermon series. And the whole goal behind this book is to just put something in Christians' hands to help them start to share their faith intelligently with their friend or with their neighbor. I found a lot of Christians struggle because they say, well, what if I get asked a question that I don't know the answer to? And I say, it's fine. Don't know the answer. You don't have to know all the answers. I don't know all the answers. But I put, a, I, I put some of the most often asked questions and my answer, in fact, Thank you, Dr. Keithley, for graciously helping to craft these answers in the back of the book. But the beginning of the book is just explaining the gospel in terms that somebody who didn't grow up in church would understand, using 
terms that are familiar to anybody who has no biblical understanding and just trying to help Christians use language with a non-Christian that maybe they're just not that familiar with. So the whole reason for the book is a very simple tool to help you share your faith with somebody. Well, as someone who has seen the draft of the book, uh, I can I can highly recommend it. I think I think you've done a real service. Uh, thank you, Dr. Struker, for joining us today. As we mentioned, his new book is called Start Here, Why Jesus Came and How His Message Gives You Life, and it's available on Amazon. Southeastern believes it is important to support women as theologians and to equip them for service wherever their calling takes them. If God has called you to the ministry in the church, the academy, or at the home, Southeastern Seminary wants to equip you with the tools you need to fulfill your calling. With almost every degree available online, you can get equipped wherever you are today for wherever you're called in the future by visiting sebts.edu. Use the waiver code CHRISTANDCULTURE all caps, no spaces, and Southeastern will waive your application fee. For our concluding segment for this podcast, we're going to have an On My Bookshelf with Dr. Keithley. So, Dr. Keithley, today we introduce a new segment in which professors at Southeastern give us a peek into what they're reading. So, Dr. Keithley, what's on your shelf at the moment? Well, I'm very excited to announce that for the Drummond Bush Lecture this fall, our speaker will be Dr. Carl Truman. Uh, And to prepare for him coming, I have been reading his latest book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. It's subtitled Cultural Amnesia, Expressive Individualism, and the Road to Sexual Revolution. It's been quite a journey. The book has is, is so much fun to read. He has a particular gift at taking very difficult concepts, broad sweeping presentations of, 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 of social history, and distilling it down in a way that is understandable by the average person. Quite a remarkable book. I do think that for our listeners as they read it, they'll find certain parts of it, they'll think, oh my goodness, this is a bit of a challenge. But 99% of it, they're going to get it. And not only will they get it, they're going to be amazed by what Dr. Truman has to say. The very idea of, I've got to be true to myself, that this this whole notion of the the self, it's very much a modern construct. And he does a great job of explaining how we got here. Yeah. And so it's a great book. It is a great book indeed. Just to reinforce that, it's worth your time, and it's available both in hard copy as well as uh, on audible.com. So if you've got more time in the car than you do in your chair, you can listen to it that way. Thank you, Dr. Keithley. This has been the Christ and Culture Podcast. Please tune in next time as well. And if you want to go to Apple and rate us and review us that way, we'd appreciate that. And we look forward to hearing you next time.